everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneur Rx. I'm really excited to talk to Lindsay Harper, who is, we were chatting beforehand, who is like just, we're like business soulmates already. Uh, Lindsay is a founder and CEO of Rosie, which is an app for women's health. She's a board certified gynecologist, and we're going to chat with her about all things entrepreneurial. So, Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. This is fun. This will be perfect. Okay, so just by, by way of background, give us a little bit about your background and start like when did you want to become a physician and kind of go through the, you know, go through the 411. Yeah, for sure. So I'm originally from Arkansas and did not have, did not come from a medical family, came from a very, you know, blue collar family. But I knew from the time that I was a little girl that I wanted to be a doctor. I The story goes that at like age five, my two job things that I said that I wanted to do were either be a babysitter or be a doctor. So that was like pretty much set at that point. And still, I love kids so much, but I just went on a very traditional path through that. I went straight through, I was a microbiology major as an undergrad at University of Arkansas. Then I went straight to medical school in Little Rock at UAMS. And then I went straight to residency. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, time for consideration of that path. But I actually worked as a tech at a women's hospital when I was in college. And the OBs at that hospital knew that I wanted to go to medical school. And they took me under their wing and like explained all the surgeries to me, explained a double footling breech delivery and how cool that was. And just, it just really lit the passion for women's health. And also I ended up loving surgery. So the fact that, you know, you could have continuity and have a surgical slant as well really appealed to me. So it just was a very straightforward path from beginning to end. And I still love women's health, love the, you know, the field of an OBGYN and I'm super passionate about that. Now you're still, I mean, we're going to get into your business venture, which I think is really cool, but you're still practicing OBGYN, correct? So I was in private practice. And whenever I started Rosie, I did have to make the decision to if I was going to keep my private practice or not. And I left private practice in order to be able to do this full time. But I still practice as a hospitalist. So I'll go in and, you know, work a shift on labor and delivery and I'll deliver unassigned patients or I'll if there's like a ruptured ectopic in the ER or somebody, you know, who needs a, a procedure from the ER, then I'll take care of those patients, too. So it allows me to stay credentialed, stay on staff for the medical school and the residents while also running the business. So I didn't know, is this a really big facility that has um, OB-GYN hospitalists? Um, So it's Baylor in Dallas. So it's pretty, I mean, it's definitely one of the biggest hospitals in Dallas, but it's not that uncommon anymore, especially for hospitals that have a large portion of unassigned patients. So patients who come in and don't have a doctor at the hospital that a hospitalist would deliver them. At the smaller hospitals, you're right, that they're still covered by like rotating private practice docs, but they're, they're a hospitalist at a lot of the bigger ones. Now, does Baylor have an OB-GYN residency? They must. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's where I did my residency as well. Okay, so you, so you're when you're there as a hospital, so are you supervising residents as well? Or is it a whole other yes. service? Yes, teaching residents. No, no, no. It's teaching residents, teaching medical students. Uh, we have family practice residents that rotate through, ER residents that rotate through. So anybody who needs to know how to deliver a baby, we're there. All right. Well, I, I love delivering babies, and I was laughing when you said that. When I was five, I wanted to be a dog. Or a doctor. I told my parents because I wasn't yeah. sure. I told my parents I'm going to be a dog when I grow up because I, I somehow I thought that might be an option. So I, I chose the other. Yeah. Thing. That was well. Good thing we both went in the same direction. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so let's talk about Rosie because this is really cool. Can you explain what that is? Because it's a really cool app and product. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah, whenever I was in private practice, I felt like my residency, my you know medical school training had held, helped prepare me for birth, for surgical, any surgical procedure that were necessary for contraception, for STIs. But something I kept hearing from my patients on an everyday basis was that they you know, were having sexual problems and women with sexual problems. Wait, who's supposed to treat those? You know, like nobody had been trained to treat those. And we're talking about low desire. We're talking about orgasmic dysfunction, arousal issues, problems with sexual pain. And this was not a one-off situation. It was happening really regularly on an everyday basis, sometimes patient after patient after patient. And I had zero training in this field, even though I had spent two weeks as a medical student in the erectile dysfunction clinic, I didn't know how to have a conversation with my patients about their sexual dysfunction. So I started to become really interested in it. I joined a medical society called ISWISH, which all they do are study evidence-based interventions for women's sexual health. I started asking around in these big groups of Facebook physicians. I'm like, hey, what do y'all do? Everybody was in the same boat as me where they were hearing these complaints all the time, but had very limited or no training or resources for these patients. And then I learned that 43% of women have a sexual concern and there was nobody doing anything about it. You know, I look around, I see Roman or Roe now, I see hymns, I see, you know, there's all, all urologists are trained to treat sexual dysfunction for men, but there's no corollary in women's sexual health. And when I started to realize that I got angry, <laughs> I decided that if I, if I had this epiphany, right, at this point in my life, and I was passionate about this field and had, you know, maybe a an idea for how to help women with these issues that if I wasn't going to do it, I wasn't sure that it was going to happen. You know, if it hadn't happened at this point in 2019, was it ever going to happen? I don't know. Um, so I decided to really pursue it with full force. And what came to fruition is that I sort of picked based on, you know, the research that was available, what are the evidence-based interventions that we could deliver at scale that we know help women with sexual problems? And those included education. They included self-help interventions. They actually included erotica, which is a really interesting piece of the puzzle. And then this idea of connecting with other people who have similar problems to know that they're not the only ones suffering. And that's a huge piece of what we do is try to erase the shame and isolation associated with these issues that exist only because nobody ever talks about this stuff, right? We as physicians don't talk about it as a society or in the media or even in ads. It's really hard to talk about it. So part of our mission is to erase, erase that shame and isolation while also plugging in these evidence-based interventions to the 43% of women that need them across the country. So that's so first off, congratulations to identify that elephant in the room, really, with 43% of people yeah. complaining about it or having the, I mean, as an emergency medicine physician, I've never ever seen that. I've seen every chief complaint in the book. I've never seen that one. And you're right. I would be like, yeah, but I wouldn't even, but, but <laughs> right. Okay. That's just me, but I wouldn't even know where to send them. But I, and I might guess right. what you thought you got an ecologist about this, but you're right. They probably, they probably haven't, or they probably right. wouldn't know what to say if they did. And so it's easily attainable. It's just about changing the narrative and really changing everyone's perception of women's sexual health problems. Yeah, I mean, men are in many respects so much easier, and it, it's just like here, try this pill, and it'll hopefully work. And if it doesn't work, then there's other stuff. You know, women, it's got to be. I mean, yeah, way over my head. I would say here's the deal, though. That's the narrative that we carry with us in medicine. The title of my grand rounds on this topic is women's sexual health. It's not that complicated, <laughs> because that's what we do. Is we 
create this too big to solve problem in our head. And that's because we are unaware as physicians of what the specific potential biological and physical challenges can be. But just like when men have erectile dysfunction, women can have arousal issues for the exact same reasons, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, you know, a neurologic problem. So we just have to really change our own internal narrative about women's sexual health, because sometimes it is complicated, but sometimes for men, it's complicated too. It's actually very similar, right? We can have relationship issues. We can have education issues. We can truly have physical issues and we can have mental health issues, but that's true for men and for women. And if we approach it from this holistic you know, place, it gives respect to the entire experience, but it also allows us to tease out, particularly as physicians, which pieces of the puzzle are ours and which pieces of the puzzle need to be referred out. And, and how do you know that? Like, is it do you have yeah. through straight through history? And if so, yeah, what's the, such a what's good the, question. What's the history like? like? I wouldn't even know where to point the person. So I don't think I know what questions to ask. Right. And this is the entire opportunity, right? From an entrepreneurial perspective is that you know we we are confused and embarrassed and nervous to talk about these things and at, our patients are as well right so when you both are coming at it with this much anxiety on both sides that conversation is going to break down really quickly but you know once we have even a baseline level of knowledge about how to take a history and physical uh, uh, you know for a sexual health problem which would include the same things you would include for a regular history and physical like when did it start how was how are things going before was there some precipitating factor are there other issues like, uh, you know, a medication side effect or um, another comorbid condition that could be exacerbating this issue? You know, it's it's honestly similar, which makes it much more approachable when you think about it from that perspective. Um, and so it's just a few simple things. And it's our job. My position is that it's our job as physicians to really model these conversations for our patients, to open the door to these conversations and to let patients know that even if we don't know the answer, just like we might not be oncologists or we might not be whatever else subspecialty we might refer to, but we can, we can hold the, you know, the key to those referrals or to those extra resources. And it's up to us to start and and make those conversations comfortable for patients. Now, I think most people who had their eyes open, like your eyes were open, you had this epiphany, this aha moment would have said, okay, I'm just going to change my practice. Now my practice will be focused on um, sexual health, but you went one huge step further. Why? Yeah. Um, okay. I think that I've thought a lot about this. My, I have a passion for communication and for education, and that's very specifically tailored to this field because we know that women just learning facts about their body can improve their sexual health. There's just so much mystery, right? So this particular field, much like actually other fields of I would argue medicine, there's such an opportunity for us to truly understand what's going on to make a significant improvement. And I think the field of sexual health forces our hand in that, particularly for women, because there's only two FDA approved products. There's just very little from the medical side that we're able to do, but there's a lot from the educational and behavioral health side that's been proven. And so it lends itself more to a scalable opportunity where we can really say, all right, you know, we might not be able to reach the 10% of women that need a procedure or need a prescription, but we can reach the 43% of women that would benefit from education and these behavioral interventions. So I I would say that it's a combination of my particular passions, the scope of the problem itself, and the complete lack of evidence-based and trusted resources that have existed in the past. You know, it's funny, I wrote this book about two years ago, and I I never published it. But 
a couple of chapters were, it was called The Real Man Plan, but I had chapters on men's and women's anatomy and physiology. And part of it was, there, you know, as it relates to the um, sexual function and dysfunction. And I, and I had a couple of men read the women's part of it, which was pretty detailed. I mean, it was kind of, it wasn't quite medical school detailed, but it was detailed. And they read me, the, yeah. dude, I had no idea how this all worked. Like they were yeah. unaware. And so I wonder how much of this challenge is just because like two people bumping around in the night, so to speak, they don't really understand how it all works. 100%. And I would say the primary, I mean, the the primary problem is that women don't know how their own bodies work, right? So when we don't know how our own bodies work, we can't communicate that to any partners. We feel uncomfortable and ashamed about it to begin with. So there's just this whole need for sexuality, I would say, generally speaking, but particularly women's sexuality to be you know, uh, unearthed and discussed. And I, even myself as a gynecologist, I learned so much when I was going through my sexual health training that I had never learned just in the world or in medical school or in residency. So even as a highly educated person, I have learned so much on this journey. And I know that the, you know, that these nuggets of information along with these personalized programs that we offer to our users on the platform really can change their lives. And we actually you know, have presented several posters to share that with the field of OBGYN and sexual medicine. So it's really exciting to be able to make a significant difference in the lives of women, you know, through a digital product. You know, it's something you said was really interesting, which totally surprised me and probably shouldn't have. You know, you said as a woman, I didn't know this, as a really educated woman, and as a gynecologist, a lot of this was new to me. That doesn't give a lot of hope for the average person out there who's like, what the heck's going on down there? And so it's got to be it's gotta be a lot of fun to educate. But also, I mean, no one should feel ashamed by not knowing this if someone with your background was learning stuff post-residency. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we don't have an opportunity to learn these things normally. And so no one should feel ashamed. And that's, you know, as I mentioned, that's part of our mission. But whenever I talk to OBGYN departments or residency programs about this, that's one of my first things to do is to recommend like some book club books, because we all have to, we're starting from the same place, whether we're gynecologists or lay people or, you know, whatever, we, we all have a baseline deficit that has to be overcome. But I mean, I think as a business opportunity, there is a baseline piece of of education that you have to reach in order to move forward. But there is, once that nut is cracked in a really approachable, evidence-based and trusted way, like that's where the real opportunity lies. And so it's a hard problem to solve, but it's worthy, it's necessary, and it is the truest blue ocean that I could ever imagine in medicine for sure. But it's funny, it's the truest blue ocean that 43% of the people have. I mean, it's the ultimate elephant yeah. in the room. It's the, <laughs> Absolutely. Ultimate, it's the in the bedroom. I mean, that's... it's Absolutely. That's totally well, and that's the thing. If it were limited to the bedroom, that would be one thing. But when we think about the other effects that sexual health has on our lives, right, in terms of comorbid anxiety and depression, in terms of relationship discord, which leads to increased rates of divorce, which leads to, you know, all these family and employment problems, these are true opportunities to make a big difference in the lives of women, not just from the particular pathologic standpoint, but from their life as a holistic view. And so it just really propels me and the rest of our team to keep on keeping on because it's so, so important. Yeah, I mean, it's literally the pebble in the pond effect with the with the ripples yeah. and all the things it touches. Okay, let's talk about Rosie. 
So you went from, okay, I'm not going to do just a medical practice for this. I'm going to expand it. Talk us through that whole mindset shift that there was one and then what you've done to overcome it. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I would say it happened over a course of maybe six months where I sort of had the idea for Rosie, started to kind of look around for something like it, couldn't find anything, started asking some other physicians if it's something that they felt like would be useful to them and their, you know, to recommend to their patients. Got up the courage to, I, I was discussing this, you know, amongst some other people who are founders and they were like, hey, there's from their perspectives and I, in hindsight, agree that there was no way that I was going to be able to stay in my medical practice and also start this company because it was, we, I had to fundraise, I had to run the company and it was a big bite to take off for me to try to do both. And in addition to all the other responsibilities that we all have outside of our work. Um, so I had to make that decision to leave practice, which I was, I love my partners. I had a wonderful practice full of women that I still keep in touch with because I, you know, I'm so attached to them, but that was probably the hardest piece of this whole puzzle was to make that decision, tell my partners and actually leave. And I was the first person to leave my practice in over 50 years. Like no one had ever left my practice before me. It was like, I broke, I felt like I was breaking my own heart, but it was the right decision for me. And that honestly, I look back at that and I'm like, that was the hardest decision, but it was also the best decision because none of this other goodness that has come to my life and to my like creative, like persona as a professional without that decision. So it was absolutely the right thing. I'm still, not that this is a imperative, but those partners are still very supportive of me. We're still friends today. And I'm so thankful for that. And then I found a technology company here in Dallas and they helped to co-develop the platform for equity. And then after that first MVP, which we got out in the market, then I was able to raise our first round, start to hire a team. And it's kind of been off to the races ever since we we went to market by partnering with physicians to tell them that we were available to recommend to their patients. And that's been a major source of growth for us ever since the beginning. And now we're recommended by 7% of OBGYNs, 4,300 doctors and therapists in the country, and working on expanding that number every day. Well, is it, I'm going to get back to the question I want to ask, but is the app bilingual and multiple languages? No, that is, I mean, honestly, my dream for Rosie, John, is for it to be available across the world. Because as a woman in America, I know how badly we need the, these resources. And I know that that is intensified and magnified times 10 or 100 or 1000 across the world. So ultimate dream is to have it available in lots of languages, lots of countries. Currently, right now, we're available in English in the US and in Canada. I mean, you can imagine in some cultures, you know, the fact that we have difficulty talking about this in the U.S. In some cultures, right. and probably not Sweden, but in some yeah. Middle Eastern cultures, I suspect sure. nearly unheard of. So, yeah, this absolutely, and yeah, and honestly, like that. If I were to get down to the core of this, I love to like unearth these women in these groups and really tell them that there's no need for them to be ashamed because what happens in those communities of silence, not unlike communities of conservative religions all over the country, including the United States, there's just such a individual shame and suffering because there's no conversation about it. And the way that we've approached that in the app so far is that we partnered with women who are also either sexual medicine or sex therapist uh, professionals who actually live in these communities of faith. So we partnered with a gynecologist who's a Muslim woman, a sex therapist who's an Orthodox Jewish woman, and also an OBGYN who's a conservative Christian and created 
paths um, on the platform specifically for those groups of women to address their you know, religious and cultural concerns in, a, in an appropriate way, but to also really try to erase the shame and isolation that we're feeling. So that's the model that I'm really excited about scaling internationally to say, we don't want all women to be the same and think the same and do the same, but we want all women within their context and within their situations to be free of, you know, shame and embarrassment around sexual health. So it's, it's really exciting. And I love that piece of the business. That's really cool. So yeah, if you keep it culturally appropriate for people so they stay in their context and so they thought they're talking to a contemporary but not somebody right. from crazy america you know who doesn't really understand what it's like to be to right. whatever that's genius okay so a couple things yeah. i noticed Thanks. talking to you you talk like you've been to business school but you're a micro oh thank you <laughs> Did you, go to business, you didn't go to business school yet, did you? No, I wish I had been to business school. I think my business school has been three years of running a yeah. startup. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I wanted to go, like, that was my initial thought when I had the idea for Rosie. I'm like, oh, I need an MBA. Like, where can I get an MBA? But it's just, it takes a long time. And then the idea is out of the gate. And so I just decided to go for it. But I thank you for that because I definitely... My evolution has come a long way, but I'm still learning so much every day. That's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is just when you get to one place, the next place is the new goal. And so, for example, we've been working a lot since we launched on direct to consumer through physicians. And now we're really talking to larger you know, organizations such as employers or healthcare organizations and even pharma and biotech about some more B2B opportunities. So I'm in a whole new phase of learning as an entrepreneur and it's never over. And when I talk to new entrepreneurs, that's one of my favorite things to chat about, which is that at this stage, I don't feel like I'm necessarily more prepared for the future. I'm just more prepared for what already happened. Like we're all kind of feeling the same at all phases throughout the journey. It's just, it's definitely a lot of learning on the job for sure. It is. And I always try to convince people, you, you don't need an MBA to do this. I was just yeah. not all that bright. So I went back and felt like I had to have one, but you clearly... <laughs> You clearly shown people and others as well that you don't have to do that. Well, I, I mean, thank you for that. I definitely have felt out of uh, like a fish out of water at times. And it's, you know, especially in the tech world too, right? There's like lots of languages going on here. The language of medicine, the language of tech, the language of business. And for the first few months, like in the tech world, I was like, I don't even know what processes you guys are talking about. What are these tech languages true? Like, you know, coding languages that y'all are so it's just, you kind of have to submerse yourself in the context. And I think if you're paying enough attention, you know, anybody can catch on, that's for sure. You know, the one thing I noticed, and tell me if you think this is true or not, is I think physicians are set up to be entrepreneurs because first off, to get this far, you have to be resilient as hell. You have to have some degree of intelligence. You have to have some degree of creativity. And we get to see, yeah. and you're a great example, is we get to see these areas for opportunities that no one else can see because- right or immersed. What do you think? Yes. Oh, totally. So I actually gave a lecture on physician entrepreneurship. And that was my whole like, angle, which is that if medicine is broken, we're all in agreement. And the people who are positioned perfectly to fix it are physicians, right? It's not all of these outside entities that are there for one reason only, and we all know what it is. But it's the people who actually have the passion inside of them that allowed them to persevere for that entire time. And they're able very uniquely to see what those broken parts of the path are, whether it's you know in diagnostics, whether it's in the patient experience, whether it's in the provider experience, all aspects of the ecosystem, you know, insurance. I mean, there's so many opportunities where nobody knows the problems like we do. And as a physician, you know, who started a company, people are 
calling me all the time. How did you get all these physicians on board? Da, 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 like all these questions. And it's because I'm a physician, right? So we are set up for success if we can believe in ourselves enough to take the leap and to really amass all of the positive qualities and not focus so much on the, as we call it, you know, in a growth mindset, all the opportunities or what might be perceived as weaknesses, um, because those can all be learned or hired for. And nobody's ever good at everything, but if you're a healthcare entrepreneur and you're a physician, you automatically have a leg up because you understand the system in ways that nobody outside of medicine ever could. Yeah, you've lived it and you see things that nobody else has ever seen. Yeah. So that's a great analysis. What, is, what was the most surprising thing you've learned along your journey? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I think that I really, in medicine, when I was in practice, I think that we, it's encouraged for us to be really highly self-sufficient. And we get pats on the back when we don't need a lot of help in the OR or when we don't need to call our partners in the, in the middle of the night for a difficult delivery or something. But in, I would say as an entrepreneur, the opposite, I have found the opposite to be, you know, the better way to proceed, which is and I, something I've had to learn actually like on the job, because my first place when I'm stuck with something is not normally to ask for help. It's to try to dig a little deeper, to figure it out, to like read a book, but actually the more effective and, and strengthening way to build a business is to bring in others around you who have a different perspective, who have a different skill set, and to really collaborate in ways that are so energizing. And I just am so thankful to this opportunity for teaching me that because it gives new and life truly to your day-to-day work that may, you know, wasn't before. Very good. So this has been this has been a blast. Where's Rosie going to in the future? What do you see? So multiple countries, multiple languages, what else? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we're excited really to share results from Rosie that not only can we improve patient outcomes when it comes to sexual health, um, but also we can hopefully, and this is some of the work that we're doing right now, improve mental health, exacerbations and severity, but also really to look as partners with healthcare organizations, insurers, all of these things to show that we can improve overall healthcare or overall healthcare outcomes patient literacy, intent to screen and be treated. Like these are, all, there's such opportunities in digital health that are in their very earliest stage right now. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. And I'm excited to be a part of that in sexual health that has been completely underserved, but to really understand that sexual health, you know, touches women throughout their lifespan from the time that we're young and learning about puberty and periods to then when we're learning about sex, then maybe when we are going through infertility or pregnancy, middle age where we're tired and overscheduled, menopause, aging, like sexual health touches us throughout all aspects of life. And to really share that idea with people who are interested in women's health and Rosie as the sort of perfect opportunity to be able to follow women throughout their entire healthcare journey. It's so exciting, honestly. So there's, I mean, we have tons of plans, John. Uh, we just need to amass the support and the everything, all the people that we need to keep keep the train moving forward. That's awesome. So uh, this probably will be a question that I will get criticized about, but do you think the recent events as related to the Supreme Court's decision are going to set back the progress made in women's health to date? Yes, is the answer. And the, the only reason, that's, that's the only answer I think anybody could give because we're going to have to spend so much time and energy and education and tears educating people about why this is so 
this is such a bad decision, right? Because whenever you have the interfering with a healthcare relationship, that's never a good thing. We There are so many gray areas of pregnancy that now we're going to have to claw our way out of justifying in terms of treatment, in terms of payment, all, all the things, access. So yes, I think that we thought we were here and then and now we're definitely set back. We have at least got to get it righted. But I mean, if we're going to stay here, there's a lot of, I hope there are unintended consequences. They must be unintended consequences because they're just going to result in a negative impact on the lives of women and their partners and our families. And it's so frustrating. It's been hard for all of us innovating in women's health right now, because we're just wondering, are we, what I'll speak for myself. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, is this off or not? Because if this is the direction that we're headed, then we're certainly not going to be able to make the progress that we want to see in the world anytime soon. So it's, it's disheartening, honestly. Um, but then, you know, you'd get a good night's rest, <laughs> you regroup and you say, this is the reason that we have to do all this stuff in the first place. You know, it makes it more important than ever to beat our drums loudly, to help women get access to the care that they need and deserve, and to really educate people. I think that there, there's a foundation of just lack of understanding and education about women's health generally that really is at the core of all of this. Yeah, I think that's a gross understatement is, yeah, I, I know you know, and I agree. I think, I hope it's unintended consequences because if it's intended consequences, I'll be, I'll right. be even more pissed off, to be blunt. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast. Where can people find out more about you and Rosie? Yeah. So our website is meetrosie.com. So just check out our website or if you want to go straight to the app store, just search Rosie, R-O-S-Y, and we'll pop right up. You can download the app completely for free. We have a week's worth of totally free content, a community where you can connect with other people. We have personalized wellness plans. You'll take our onboarding questionnaire of 27 questions, about all kinds of things, reproductive history, sexual health goals, partnership status. Are you taking care of kids? What's your religion? And then we'll curate an entire program just for you based on that questionnaire, a library of erotica, which we didn't even get to, John. And then we also offer coaching on the platform as well. So really trying to be a supportive ecosystem of evidence-based tools for women who need our help. That is awesome. I mean, I'm applauding you. That is very cool, Lindsay. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so fortunate to do it. And thanks for your support and the opportunity to be here with you today. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Another episode of Entrepreneur X. Thanks for listening. We'll have all the show notes and uh, ways to get a hold of Lindsay in the notes. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.